Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Fish Across the Pond, a Miami Marlins UK baseball podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt, and joining me this week, special guest, Danny Martinez from Fish Stripes. Danny, how are you? How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Can't complain. Good, man. I'm doing well also. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to hop onto the podcast. Um, Lee, Dan, and Rob uh, are all effectively uh, on holiday season right now. So uh, we needed we needed someone with a big personality to fill <laughs> fill the fill the void from the boys. So great to have you on. Um, we'll we'll get stuck into it. There's plenty to talk about. We haven't done a pod for two weeks, so there's some kind of recent stuff to get into. But I think it's a good opportunity for us to yeah to coin your phrase, have a conversation on a, on a few topics. So absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Let's go with it, Danny. For the for the guys who um, you know maybe don't follow you, there's maybe some UK guys who who maybe aren't uh, as familiar with fish, fish stripes and and the podcast stuff that you guys do. Um, do you want to give a bit of an intro, or background on your side in terms of how long you've been following the Marlins and um, and maybe I don't know favorite player all time, something like that? Get us going. Oh, absolutely. And I love the fact that I don't just have big shoes to fill, but I have a lot of shoes for like a short guy. You're putting, you know, quite a stature here that I have to do. But uh, but yeah, so so my name is Danny Martinez. Like you mentioned, I am the lead writer for Fish Stripes, which is an outlet within the SB Nation category of sports, I guess we can say. Uh, at the end of the day, really, if you write for SB Nation, you are likely a fan of the organization that you're writing about. You know, we don't try to hide from that. Fish Stripes is a fan voice by the fan. Now, we try to be as objective as we can. I always say that on air whenever I'm on air. I want you to tell me when it sounds like I'm being biased or when it sounds like I'm letting my fandom come in front of my work. But basically, we try to give the best content possible, whether it's a podcast. I host two of them, uh, Fish Bites, which is the Major League podcast, and then Earning Their Stripes with Ethan Badowski and Ian Smith, which are fantastic. And Earning Their Stripes is a minor league podcast where we have Isan Diaz come on and Monte Harrison come on and players that are coming up through the farm system. And then, of course, FishStripes.com is where you would get all your read and written uh, content. So it's it's exciting. The Marlins have been great with us. And, and really, it's just because we love baseball and we love the fan base. Oh, awesome. And you'll have to um, try and hook me up with some of those connections as well for, for this uh, UK Marlins podcast as well. You we already could... know it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be we'll be opening that black book of yours and seeing seeing who falls out for sure. So um, awesome. And, and how often do you manage to get to the games as well? Yeah, so I live, I would say, around an hour north of the stadium before when they used to play in Dolphin Stadium and Landshark Stadium, Pro Player Stadium, all the different names for what was Joe Robbie before, I was like maybe 15 minutes away. But then when Loria got this deal with Miami-Dade and they sent them down into the heart of Little Havana, the drive became a little bit more difficult. So I can feel and I can empathize with those that say the drive is tough. Because of that drive and because of my work schedule, I typically make it out to the weekend games. So a majority of the Saturday games, which add up 
to around 10, 15 games a year. And then some of the Sunday games as well. If I'm just, I don't know, feeling frisky and I want to go back to back days and just spend the entire weekend with Marlins baseball. So I try to get to at least 15 games a year with the understanding that sometimes I get to convince my wife that we should go see Sandy on Sunday or we should go see Pablo on Sunday. And then she gives me the go ahead and we make it out to some Sunday games as well. Oh, well, that's, that should be an easy sell. Uh, Sandy Sundays and any Pablo day should be an easy sell, in my opinion. So, mm-hmm. yeah, good. Is, and is your wife, is she a baseball fan as well? So my wife is from Trinidad and Tobago, which is a small island right off of Venezuela. And she did not know anything about baseball when she met me. We met at university together. And I guess part of dating and courting Danny is falling in love with what is the misery of being a Dolphins fan and sometimes a Marlins fan and a Heat fan and a Panthers fan and all the local sports fans. And she just fell in love with baseball and with football. She, she never really got into basketball. Hockey could be exciting when we're there, but she won't really watch it on the screen. But if we're home and there's a baseball game, she'll be watching. If there's uh, you know any Dolphins game, we try to go to all Dolphins games as well. So she did not know a lick about baseball. But upon dating me for the five, six years now and being married half a year now, she has become an avid Marlins fan. So I definitely found the right partner for me. Yeah, you've done well. And congrats on, uh, on, on getting married. And I know you were, you were on your honeymoon mm, a couple of weeks back. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing. Um, so congrats to, to you guys on that. Thank uh, you. It sounds like you found a, a great one there for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, She's awesome. Good, good. Well, there we go. We got a, you know, as, as the saying goes, happy, happy wife, happy life happy and all life. that. <laughs> good, good. Well, um, in terms of um, the 2019 class, from the Marlins big league perspective, how, you know, we're, we're almost at September now. So what's been your view on, on the team itself? Uh, how would you kind of summarize what you've seen thus far? I think if you came into the season with the perspective of what a rebuilding year is, I think that it's been okay. It hasn't been necessarily above standard. It hasn't necessarily been below standard outside of that first awful 10 and 31 start. Mm -hmm. But if you are someone who's still there for the wins and losses, obviously this isn't the year for you. Uh, From an objective perspective of what I personally wanted in the rebuild, at least this year, I wanted to see the pitching take a step forward. And for a good amount of the year, it did. For a good amount of the year, they were top 10 in ERA and in fielding independent pitching. And we were seeing the fruits of this new regime, per se, uh, really concentrate on pitching. Uh, We're still seeing some of that. Yams had a good start this last week. Sandy had a couple of good starts back to back. Smith is still going to be consistent. But we've also seen the injuries that have dropped that back, right? Pablo Lopez getting hurt. The trade away of Zach Gallen. Uh, regardless of the high-end prospect they got, that still hurts at the moment. So pitching is still exciting for me. It's still positive. The hitting has not been what we want it to be outside of Brian Anderson, you know, flashes of George Alfro. I know we're going to talk about possibly about that in a little bit. Uh, The Harold Ramirez surprises. It's not exactly where you want it to be, 
But that's where that rebuilding perspective comes in. The offense shouldn't be where it's going to be. And it's not going to be. Maybe not even next year when we have the influx of Monte and Isan. It, it still is a growing process. So I, I would really evaluate it as that. It's not much better than I expected. It's not much worse than I expected. It's kind of according to plan of a rebuild. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh, and I echo that I'd say in terms of what was expected I, I listened back uh, just because I've just come back from holiday and it gave me some time you know on a beach and you got a bit of time to yourself I went back and listened to our one of our early podcasts with uh, fish across the pond and some of our early predictions and stuff like that because uh, it's fun to kind of turn back the clock and see what you were thinking going into the year mm-hmm. and I think it pretty much played out as expected in many ways like we were high on the pitching you know, that we knew the hitting was going to be probably an issue. I think at the time we were expecting more out of Lewis Brinson in particular. I think, you know, there'd been a bit of buzz through spring training with him and he'd had a good spring training. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were kind of thinking, okay, is is Lewis going to turn the corner? We were talking about JT Riddle as well. Is, is it his year to kind of kick on? Um, so, yeah, we didn't get everything bang on but the one thing we did say was the pitching looks strong and at the time we were saying you know Caleb Smith he's going to be number five in the rotation you know is he going to come back healthy if he does the rotation looks looks very good and strong and that played out um, particularly the first half the guys were all healthy I think that was the one thing that we were all talking about as well was you know no no injuries you know and, and the rotation stayed as the same five for the longest of any of the teams, any of the other clubs. And then as soon as we had one injury, the next thing is, you know, we started to get three and four. And then the rotation, I think, has been in quite a bit of flux since, you know, with uh, including, I guess, the, the trade of of Gallon. So I guess it's taken a bit of a step back in the past month or month and a half. But either way, I'm with you. The, the pitching's been good. Um, and the reality is, there's more to come, I guess. Looking mm-hmm. into 2020, you know, Sixto has got a real chance, you'd think, of, well, making the opening day roster at least next year, I, I think, I'd, I'd say. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, I would second that. Yeah, you'd take that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I would, opening I would, day starter? I would, I don't, I'm not sure that they'd make him, I, I, this is what I would actually say. I think he has a very good shot of getting out of spring. But I think that just for the purpose of limiting innings, they wouldn't put him in the first spot. Now, that usually takes uh, care of itself, whether it's with injuries or off days or whatever the case is. But if I was manipulating the roster, I mean, he has nothing left to prove in Jacksonville. Uh, me and the guys were just talking about this yesterday. There's there's nothing left to prove there. He has been absolutely dominant. He's been the best pitcher in AA since he got promoted. If in the, in the beginning of next year they start him off in New Orleans and AAA, that's really just so that maybe he sees some major league hitters that are you know down there because that's typically what happens with AAA, and he could get somewhat acquainted. But my gut is he's ready. He's ready to be the number three, the number four, the number five, just to limit innings with the understanding that he really is a future ace with this organization. So for anyone that's thinking, oh, will they at least give him a shot? I think that they do out of spring. I think that he has the opportunity to win a spot uh, out of spring training. He's just the, the talent oozes off of him. It's it's it's. It is amazing to see in Jacksonville anytime that you get some film on him. So, yeah, I, I think it's possible. Yeah, good. Well, I'm excited to see see how that plays out. How, how do you see 
the rotation in general playing out next year? Obviously, you know, Sixto, it sounds like there's a chance and you're all for that. Um, Caleb will be there. Sandy will be there. Um, that, and then Sixto, so we got three. You would assume Pablo would still be there. And then who do you see maybe in that fifth spot? Or even if you don't see Pablo being there? I don't know. No, I, I think Pablo will be there. So, you know, he's going through his rehab now. But I still actually might be a little personally higher on Pablo Lopez than others. I still think he's a number two uh, at the worst, a number four type of guy. The injury concerns worry me because now we're starting to see a pattern built here. But if he remains healthy, if something happens developmentally this offseason, I think he's there. So if it was my guess, I would say that the starting five, with all of them being healthy, would be a Caleb Smith, would be, quite frankly, a Pablo Lopez if he's healthy. Sandy will be in there somewhere. I believe that the fourth might be Yamamoto, and that just to preserve innings and his arms, if it comes out of opening day with Sixto in the rotation, Sixto would be fifth. And in reality... That works really well anyway, because like I said, the schedule will manipulate the way that the rotation turns around. So realistically, you could just have a Sixto and then a Caleb and then a Lopez back to back to back. And it wouldn't make a difference if Sixto was fifth or first. You're still getting that type of back to back to back performance against an opposing lineup. So I think those would be my five if they want to sign maybe, which I'm not a fan of, a vet just to make sure that they don't have to push arms. Uh, the younger arms up, then maybe he's the guy, whoever they would sign, uh, so that Sixto doesn't come out in the beginning. But but yeah, those would be my five. Lopez, Yams, Sandy, uh, Sixto, and then whoever else it is that I didn't say, Dr. K, Smith. <laughs> and is is Yams the biggest surprise this year? I think so, because I didn't expect him to be up. No. When uh, when we got the when we first got the news, which we couldn't even report, which is the worst when you hear something and you actually can't send it out. But when we first got the news, I was really surprised. I didn't think that they would have been that aggressive with Yams going from Double A straight to the majors. Uh, I, I guess I kind of understood where it came from from a roster construction point of view, but I didn't think that that would be the case. And that was the time when everyone was clamoring for Zach Gallen. Mm -hmm. So everyone was really upset that suddenly Yamamoto gets the call and that Zach is still down there. I think that's what surprised me, as well as his hot start. The inconsistency doesn't surprise me. You know, no. we're talking about young arms, and with him, we're talking about someone who he cannot get away without having pinpoint precision and control of where his pitches are going. He's simply not going to fool enough individuals with the velo or the change in velo. He has to be able to manipulate and like an artist paint that arsenal of pitches that he has. So the, the inconsistency doesn't surprise me. The fact that he was even ever up here did <laughs> surprise me. Uh, but moving forward, I think he's a fixture in here until the next layer of talent comes up and Edward Cabrera, uh, Trevor Rogers, Braxton Garrett. I think Yams is there and then eventually maybe goes to the pen. Yeah. What, what do you think on, on that next layer? What do you think the timeline is for those guys? Yeah, I, I would say, like we like we spoke about Sixto, I think he's the closest and he has the most talent by far. So I think he could be their opening day. Eddie Cabrera has been, again, dominant in Jacksonville after his promotion, uh, Edward Cabrera, but he only has around 35 pitches, or 35 innings, rather, in Jacksonville. So I think he starts next year in AA again, and we could see him, I want to say August. I want to say around August 2020, Edward Cabrera could be up. Now, 
another 21-year-old in Jacksonville who's also doing really well is the lefty, Trevor Rogers. Uh, we all know his history uh, with his arm injuries, but he's also in Jacksonville. He's also 21, just like Cabrera and Sixto. And he also only has around 50 or so innings. So we're going to need more time with him as well. I think by the end of September of next year, you're looking at Edward being up. You're looking at Trevor being up. Robert Duggar is in there somewhere, probably in the bullpen. Sixto is up. And then you and I, hopefully, if you bring me back on, we're having a conversation about when Braxton Garrett's going to come up, which would then be the following year. Well, the invite is already there for, for you to come back on, so you don't have to worry about that one. <laughs> I love it. Um, just one name you mentioned as we went through um, through that uh, segment there was was Zach Gallen. Um, I asked the guys basically straight after that trade happened when when we recorded um, for a, a one to ten on the shockometer for that one. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'll ask you the same. What? What was your take on that in terms of uh, shock factor? I mean, Ab- absolutely a 10. I, honestly, <laughs> I'm not even trying to be dramatic. I'm not trying to be theatrical. OK, it was absolutely a 10. You know, I told this very quick story on, on my end. I said I was in Aruba. All the trades were coming in. I actually had an Arubian police officer that would tell me what was happening because him and I just spoke and he 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 knew what was happening at least with the Wi-Fi and, and with the Marlins and whatever the case is. And when I first got off the boat and I had Wi-Fi again, I myself was able to see, uh, I believe it was John Heyman say the Marlins have acquired Jazz Chisholm. And that's all I had seen yet. So I did not know who was going out. And even at that point, the shockometer was a 10 because I kept saying to myself, what in the world could we have given up to get this mm-hmm. type of super risky, okay, super risky. At best, I'm 50-50 on this deal, but super risky but elite prospect in a Jazz Chisholm. And then the next tweet came as I refreshed the feed, and it was Zach Gallen. And it was a punch to the face. It was a punch to the gut. I know you have to give to get, but I would have never imagined that Zach Gallen, someone that a lot of us have been talking about while many people out there just thought that he was a throw-in, right? A lot of us have been talking about his being special, is suddenly no longer in the system, and it's for a very risky, albeit elite prospect. So quite frankly, I'm not even trying to be dramatic, but a 10, because I, I would have never thought Jazz Chisholm would have been added to the system. I would have never in a million years guessed Zach Gallen would have been the one going away. And for as creative and as aggressive as it was, it still is incredibly scary of a mm. deal. Yeah. Particularly when Gallon has, I think he's maybe had three starts now for the Diamondbacks, and he's had maybe three quality starts, I guess. Um, so he's kind of just carried on, and you know he's looking, he's looking a, le- a legit MLB, uh, what mid rotation guy, I guess. So you know yep. he's, you know he's more of a. Sh- what you're saying there basically is he's more of a sure thing right now than than Jazz, albeit Jazz maybe has greater levels of upside um, in that position in the future. But there's an unknown there, I guess. So time will tell. I, I've got to admit, I, I'm not able to spend the time and be able to follow a lot of minor league stuff. Um, it's hard enough trying to follow the major league stuff from the UK, actually. <laughs> so, um, you know, when, when you hear these names, uh, the initial response, you, you feel sad because an MLB-ready player goes away and you're like, damn, they're a good player. And you're getting mm-hmm. back really an unknown like that is it's truly jazz chisholm i've no idea who he is um and i don't know anything about him like oh that that seems you know a risky deal but hey in two years time when 
when we're actually pushing on, you know, he may well be there then and pretty confident we'll need a, a starting shortstop there. I mean, Miggy will probably be around what, you know, he'll be definitely around next year, but, you know, beyond that, I'm not 100% sure what, right. what the future will hold for Miggy. But even so, he's I've I, I really taken to him. I feel like he's become a fan favourite. Does that does that come across um, in 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 Miami in the Florida area with with Miguel Rojas? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think that right now, uh, especially with the understanding that he's not a John Carlos Stanton or a Christian Yelich, right, and he's not that caliber of talent. It is impressive to see how many people actually still know who Miggy Rowe is, who Miguel mm-hmm. Rojas is. And, and I know this question comes from the community fan perspective, but the thought of him being a captain and a leader is absolutely in the clubhouse as well. I mean, this is someone that is incredibly important. I hope because his last uh, year of control, like you mentioned, is next year. So we don't know what will happen with him after. I truly hope and I advocate that he is someone that's extended that he's extended maybe just two or three years. You don't have to do anything crazy with him because of his age, but that you bring back that leader who's still fairly competent. You know, this isn't this isn't like we're discussing a uh, Martin Prado case where Martin Prado is a fantastic person and human being, but clearly he's at the end regression of his career. Miggy could still provide uh, particularly one, two years of good value until a Jazz Chisholm is up and just to express to anyone who might be listening so what you're getting in a jazz chisholm is a very risky player what you're also getting in a jazz chisholm is the home run leader in the minor leagues for his position at shortstop the last two years you're getting an elite power bat at short who also has gold glove defense so that's why you take that risk it's just that it's incredibly risky nonetheless which only further points or further cements the point that Miguel Rojas should likely be extended because if Jazz doesn't work out, you at least have a veteran presence there at short. Yeah. Who, it, other than Jazz, who are the other shortstop kind of prospects knocking around? Uh, you know, AAA and and AA at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So who you really have is Jose Devers, and he's not even at AA yet. He is uh, with Jupiter, and he was hurt for a while. He was the, one of the younger prospects that was brought in in the rebuild in the Giancarlo Stanton trade from the Yankees. He was a Florida State League All-Star this year before he got hurt. He's hitting well over 300, getting on base well over 34%. And he's also someone that many scouts believe is a gold glove shortstop. So that would probably be the next, uh, the next guy in ranking. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a pretty significant drop-off. Jazz really is special. Jazz, there's a reason he's ranked something like 37th in top 100 for fan graphs. Um, he's ranked top 50, I think, as well in MLB.com. He's, he's a special elite prospect. And then you have a significant drop-off, but a relatively still good prospect in Jose Devers. And then you're talking about guys that are much younger who would be further away. Or not much younger, but rather in their developmental process further away, such as Osiris Johnson, which was drafted last year, but then he got hurt this year, so he hasn't played. A uh, Nassim Nunez, who was drafted this year, who I love, but Mm -hmm. he's very young, straight out of high school, and he won't be here for another three, four years. So it's it's really Jazz Chisholm making it, or you extending Miguel, or you going out and trading for a big-time shortstop or a free agent shortstop. Because outside of Jazz making it, there's nothing there outside of Jose Devers, who's currently hurt. So not the not the most depth that's immediately available, although there is a lot of talent at that position throughout the, the levels. Yeah, and I guess that's, you know, that's the reason when you peel back the layers, 
there is the reason why you make the gallon move, not just there's a you know top 50, top 35 prospect available, but one at a serious position of need, which you know it's obvious that it is for the Marlins that that shortstop position. Um, so you know maybe worth the risk. It could be we could look back at that and could be one of the worst trades ever, or it could be mm-hmm. one of the best trades ever. Who knows? So you know time will tell for sure. Um, beyond that move, which yeah that that was the one that really I think caught everyone off guard. Beyond that though, how? What was the grade? What grade would you put on the trade deadline from a Marlins perspective? You know, taking that one into account, but all the other moves that were made, and there were quite a few, obviously. But how would you grade this year's trade deadline? Okay, so that's a good one. I actually have not been asked this yet, so you're going to get me <laughs> on my toes. I like it. I'll say yes. this. I'll say this. The the beauty with all of the all trades in a rebuild, okay, is that it could really end up being an A plus in a few years, and it could end up being an F. That's what happens when you're talking about uh, veteran aged prospects or veteran aged players being sent out for prospects. And in the case of Zach Gallen, an MLB ready prospect, because he still has prospect status for a non MLB ready prospect. If I had to give my own personal grade, the first thing that comes to mind is something between a B and an A minus. And the reason for that is because I absolutely love the aggression and the creativity of this deadline. You know, Sergio Romo was never by himself going to get you a Lewin Diaz. Lewin Diaz, of course, comes over in that trade with Sergio Romos, and they also give up Chris Valamont, who was a younger pitching prospect, and he has done nothing but hit home runs since he's been here. Uh, he leads the, the minor leagues in OPS throughout his time since he's been here in doubles, in homers. He knows how to walk. You were never going to get that with Sergio Romo, so they got creative in the front office, and they said, how are we going to make this happen? Well, we're going to give you a very young uh, pitcher who we just drafted last year who is probably like 17th in our depth of pitching coming up and we're going to make it happen to get this the Rays deal was you know i always say like a chef's kiss it was beautiful listen i don't i literally do not care that nick anderson is the best reliever in baseball right now because he wouldn't <laughs> have made a difference uh, on the marlins you know the rays know how to uh maximize their value so good for them uh, that Nick Anderson is doing what he's doing. In Jesus Sanchez, you got your 2011 version of Christian Yelich. Jesus Sanchez is one of the safest prospects, not in the system, in all of baseball when you're talking about hit tool. His, he will hit. <laughs> I mean, this is, he's already at AAA at age 21, which is absurd. He will be up here and he will be a piece of this. You can't say that with all prospects. Like we just spoke about with Jazz. I can't guarantee you Jazz will be a part of the next competitive Marlins team. But Jesus Sanchez will. So to get him and to get someone who unfortunately has not given the best first impression, but is still a very good pen arm in Ryan Stanek, was a beautiful deal. So that's the one that brings me closer to A-, minus, as well as the Lewin Diaz creativity. And then again, I'm just 50-50 on that Jazz deal because he could be the next superstar shortstop or he could never get past AAA. So that's what brings me down to around a B. So I would say somewhere around there, maybe we could just split the middle and say it's a B plus for me. There you go. I think that's the risk factor of that that gallon deal, I think, stops it being an A or an A plus right now. But mm-hmm. in time, you know, who who knows? We'll we'll see on that one. Right. Um, excited to see though, and and Jesus, um, is there a chance we see him in September? 
it would be the most exciting expanded roster move if they do it. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you're familiar with this, but for the listeners, in August 31st to September 1st, you are allowed expanded rosters, which all that that means is whoever was on your 40-man roster on August 31st, you can call any of them up. So theoretically, the Martins could call up all of their 40-man roster, and this is actually the last year they're going to allow to do this, but nonetheless, uh, and, and have all of their 40-man up there. The reason that baseball does that is so you have fresh arms in the pen when you're going down to the playoff chase, and you don't have to burn your arms. So after that preface, when we're looking at the 40-man roster, Jesus Sanchez is on it, Monte Harrison is on it, but of course he's hurt at the moment, Magnair Sierra, George Guzman, Jordan Holloway, and Robert Duggar. Those are the top prospects, aside from Hassan Diaz, who's already up, obviously. Those are the top prospects that would be the most exciting. Of that group, if Monte was healthy, he would already be up here. If Magnera Sierra continues hitting the way he had earlier last month, I think he'd be a call. And the surprise pick for you is going to be George Guzman. I think that if he continues the way he's continued this month, he has numbers that are actually comparable to a Trevor Rogers and a Braxton Garrett, who many consider top 100 prospects within the community. If he continues, I think you, we might see him. I think we yeah. might see Guzman as, as one of the call-ups. I'm not so certain that you're going to love the answer about Jesus Sanchez. I think they're still going to be safe with him. Um, so I don't, I'm not sure that they're going to call him up. But I think we could see a mixture of a Magnair Sierra, a George Guzman. And if somehow Monte gets healthy very quickly and he has a few reps in AAA, maybe we see a Monte as well. Yeah, that'd be good. It'd be exciting um, <laughs> to see. What's... um. When you get to the expanded rosters um, into into September, uh, obviously the you know the Marlins don't need to preserve arms for for a playoff push. So you know <laughs> that's nothing we need to be doing this year. We will do in the future. But anyway, um, you know how how does that kind of impact what we see? Does it kind of become I don't know, like kind of NFL preseason in some ways where you, you know, you're resting your starters and you want to see a little bit from your prospects and just kind of see what you've got. Is that is that how it plays out with the guys who, who aren't contending? And I don't know whether that takes away from from the product and what, you, you know, the stuff, what you see. Um, I don't know. You, you mentioned that, you know, there obviously it's the last year you can do this with the 40 man expansion. Does it go to 28? Is that right the year after? Is it 28? Yeah, yes, I believe, I believe the number is either 28 or 27. But basically, every team can only then call another two or three up. And mm -hmm. the reason for that was because of the point that you were illustrating. It almost does become like an exhibition game uh, where if one team is in it and one team is not in it, you have this completely uh, competitive imbalance on mm -hmm. the field. I think actually the Marlins were an example of this a few years ago because the Marlins did not call up anybody. So they stayed at 25. And I believe they played they played someone within the division that had called up like 10 players. So they were at 35. So you're trying to manage against a team that has seven extra bullpen arms. And then yeah. you're here stuck with these veterans and these young guys. And for whatever reason, the front office didn't want to, I guess, either start the clock or or just call people up. It, it creates an imbalance. So so, yeah, to your point, you know, it's great to preserve arms, but. At the end of the day, I like this change that they're going to do and they're installing it next year where you get two or three spots. Everyone does. Uh, it's still the same rules that on August 31st, the player has to be on the 40-man to be called up. But we're no longer going to see a team that can field 35 players versus a team that only has 25. Yeah, I think that sounds like a sensible change, to be honest. So, 
you know, it's uh, sounds a good one. Um, listen, there's a couple of players we've touched upon uh, as well in the past uh, half an hour or so we've been talking um, that I wanted to get your take on. Um, the first one being uh, Isan Diaz, who uh, we're talking about excitement levels and stuff like that. And, and for me, that that series when he was called up and Lewis Brinson was called back up um, was, I think, I'd say peak interest that I've had for, I don't know, definitely this year, maybe mm-hmm. for the last two years, I'd say, for that that series. And, I mean, what a way to announce himself. Um, <laughs> it was, that will go down as an MLB moment, you know, in, in general, I think, with, with the, uh, you know, the interview going on with his family and he absolutely just launches one. Um, Incredible. <laughs> you know, absolutely awesome moment, which, you know, was was definitely my my favorite moment of the year so far. But beyond that, he's definitely had a few struggles, I think it's fair to say. And mm-hmm. I remember seeing a, a tweet maybe from, might have been the Fish Stripes account, actually, as he was coming up, just saying, by the way, with Isan Diaz, he, he does take time to adjust mm-hmm. at, as each level as he's progressed through. So, you know, expect that time and you know once he gets through that he'll he'll kick back on and to be honest with you that's exactly what we've seen so you know that highlight home run aside it has been a bit of a struggle so far but you know it's it maybe wasn't entirely unexpected particularly from from what you guys were thinking so i guess it's what we were expecting from him uh but even so it's it's great to see him up for sure right Absolutely. I mean, number one, that call was fantastic. Craig Minimini did a great job of Fox Sports Florida to allow the moment to breathe, you know, to let the father uh, talk and, and just, you know, yell and yell and yell for his for his son. It was fantastic because you see this these great moments happen all the time. And then the announcer, the broadcaster tries to center it. I, I love that Craig just let it breathe a little bit. So it made for great TV. Uh, and, and you're absolutely correct. I, I don't know if it was Fish Stripes, if it was me, but I've spoken about that before. I actually just got off the air speaking about the fact that Isan Diaz has always had this pattern. Uh, I don't have the numbers right ahead of me, but in, in 2017, he gets to, no, in 2018, he gets to double A first. And in his first month, if we're looking at weighted runs created plus, the average for that is 100. So anything below 100 is below average, and anything about 110 and more is well above average. His first month in double A, he's around 70 something. He's well below 100. He finishes his year in double A at 125. Then he gets promoted to triple A. His weighted runs created plus is at 65. Then he repeats AAA this year, and his weighted runs created plus is 131, which is at an uh, almost great to elite level. So we've seen this from him. He has a learning curve. You know, not everyone can be a Juan Soto. <laughs> not everyone could yeah. be a Ronald Acuna Jr. who just comes up and just blah, blasts the ball. And at the end of the day, that's never been Isan's game anyway. Isan is not necessarily this contact-oriented player. He's a power and a slick defender, and he'll take his walks. And what we've seen from him is that pattern, which hopefully continues in the major league level. So he's had his struggles. It's only been 13 games, but he's had his struggles. And hopefully when he repeats it next year, he comes out firing the same way he did for AAA. But I'll just add this one more thing. I think that there is, and someone mentioned this on my show, and I'm blanking on who it was. I think there's a level of PTSD that comes with Lewis Brinson 
that fans are starting to apply to Isan Diaz. So Lewis Brinson is this top 100 prospect, and we're so excited. And then, you know, he's, he's rushed a little bit to the major leagues, and then he just falls flat. And then we let him repeat, and he's falling flat somewhat again. They're not the same players. And if we take our, a step back from the box score and we actually look at the at-bats, you, I'm not talking to you, but anyone who's listening, will also see that they're not the same players. For all of Isan's struggles in this 13 games, you know, he still has 10 hits. He still has uh, taken uh, at-bats to three-ball counts. He's still working a count. He's still somewhat making contact. It's not the same type of struggles that we saw with Lewis. So for those of us that are thinking, oh, here we go again, just breathe a little bit. Isan has his learning curve, and even in his learning curve, he's looking more impressive than other prospects have uh, at their best, okay? If we're just being honest with Lewis Brinson. So let's let's relax a little bit with him. Uh, let's get him his feet wet a little bit this year. Hopefully he continues to show his ability to work counts deep into the count. And let's also not overlook this, and this is, I guess the last thing, I don't want to go too far on off a cliff with Isan. He has had a tough luck with his first 13 games. He has faced Mike Soroka. He has faced Clayton Kershaw. He has faced Walker Buehler. He has faced Gray. He has faced Hanman Marquez. He has faced a lot of top-line pitchers, which you're not seeing in New Orleans. So learning curve will be there. Not too worried about him. We see the pattern the way that you identified it. And I think he's definitely going to be someone that next year shows what he can be. Yeah, you're right. We've had one hell of a tough stretch. Um, you know, Braves, Dodgers, Rockies in core. So you actually would have thought maybe the core series um, would have been good. But, um, you know, it, but you, you're right. We've had some tough, tough matchups. And I guess we're back around to the Braves now starting this evening. So, you know, we'll see. I I haven't seen a, a bunch of him. All You know, I've seen the highlight reels, which you see. Well, they were pretty much daily highlight reels. Um, with with home runs galore, um, which was which was awesome. But uh, you know, getting to actually watch some some proper live at bats and you know, in part of a uh, part of a wider game and just seeing his approach, I could just see this guy is gonna he is he is a real power threat. Like his his approach and his swing is there to hit balls hard and high. Mm-hmm. That's the thing for me when I look at him is he's really trying to elevate the ball and and hit it a mile. So. Didn't surprise me. He caught hold of that one in, in his first game. And, uh, you know, I think there's plenty more to come. I think he'll become an awesome player for the Marlins moving forwards. So really excited for him. Lewis Brinson, though, let's let's cover a bit bit on Lewis. Um, I haven't been, because I was away for the last week, I haven't been able to watch live Marlins baseball. But what I have seen is the highlight stuff and packages and condensed games. What I've seen from from Brinson in the main has been a few kind of clutch RBIs that have been um, mainly opposite field, actually. But the thing that stood out and they've shown in the condensed game has been these um, center field grabs, like absolutely incredible catches mm-hmm. for outs. These, you know, and, and one of the things in the early part of the year for Lewis was his glove, like he was having like mental errors in the field. They were just there was balls going through his legs. So. I don't know. He's obviously had time down at Triple A. He's come back up. He obviously hasn't set the world alight with the bat, but the glove has been there. That's the one positive that I can see on the condensed films. Anyway, I, you've probably seen more in the past week or two. Anyway, thoughts on Lewis? 
I think you I think you nailed it, quite frankly. You know, the bat is still not there. We're seeing, like you mentioned, opposite opposite field hits, which is important because, quite frankly, I don't even care about the hit. A, a hit when you're pulling it is not as impressive to me, at least in Lewis Brinson's case right now, is when you're going opposite because it tells me more about your approach. It tells me that you're staying center and oppo, and that's what we need to start seeing with him. He started getting very pool-friendly, and that's why the Ks were racking up. It, it's not something that... Uh, would have been conducive to his game. So the fact that his approach is better is lovely. However, we're getting to the point with Lewis that there is so much immense talent in the outfield coming up behind him that unlike Isan Diaz, where we can talk about, you know, let the 23-year-old breathe, let him get his stride, and no one's coming behind him anyway, that does not apply to Lewis anymore. He needs to start going and generalizing from great approach to great outcome. And it probably needs to start happening before next year. He needs to show that in spring training. He needs to show that next year if he gets the, the opening day nod. Because when you have a Monte Harrison and a Jesus Sanchez and the other individuals that are coming behind him, the clock is ticking on the bat. Now, defensively, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's why I always wanted at some point, once we started seeing some offensive success from him in NOLA in New Orleans in AAA, I wanted him to come up. Because I was tired of seeing subpar defensive efforts and performance in center field, especially when you're trying to groom young pitching, right? It's not a good, it's not a good fit. You know, Derek Jeter and Mike Hill always talk about it. We're trying to get athletic up the middle. Why? Because catcher, second base, shortstop, and center field dictate a lot of what happens defensively, especially when you have young pitchers. So what he has done has been beautiful. Because he went from being someone in 2018 who, if we're looking at fan graphs, had a defensive value that was below average at a negative 1.5 to in one-fourth of the same amount of games, he has a plus 3.4 defensive value. And that's even including the mishaps from earlier this year that you alluded to. So it, it's very exciting. It's very exciting to see an almost elite center field defensive play over the last few weeks with him. If he is someone that can just make a little more contact on the ball and just shorten his swing just a little bit more, it's mm. someone that could still be a part of this. Am I going to bet on that? Probably not. Because when you have a Jesus Sanchez and a Monte Harrison coming up, that spot is is leaving you very quickly, especially if they ever put Brian Anderson in right field, whether I love that or not. Uh, it, it's it's starting to the quicksand, or not the quicksand, but rather the time sand is starting to to get to its end. Uh, with Lewis. And, and that's a shame when we're talking about a 25-year-old who has all the tools in the world. So hopefully the production starts matching the approach. And then this conversation is moot. And then we have our center fielder. Uh, and then we could figure out where Monte and Jesus Sanchez are. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you glad you mentioned Brian Anderson as well. And the what we've seen since, I guess, the knock-on effect has been Isan's come up. He is playing second base every day. Has to. Castro has been shunted over to third, and fair play to, to Stalin Castro for that. He's, I'd say, seen well from the outside looking in. He's embraced everything this mm -hmm. year. Um, he hasn't had a great year. Um, I, I think the Marlins would have been desperate to have moved him on if they could, but they didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, he's kind of heated up. I guess the last you know month and a half, two months really. Um, so, but he's been shunted to third and then, you know, a bit of Prado over there too and a bit of Neil Walker and, you know, anyone really. But the net result has been Brian Anderson has fundamentally been playing in, in right field. 
every day, it seems. Um, but <laughs> what you can say is he is a bloody good right fielder. Um, <laughs> he's been he's been absolutely awesome there. And start to question yourself now. I, I've been heavily in the camp of why is Brian Anderson out in right field? He should be a third base every day because that's where that's his long term position for the Marlins. We're a building team. Leave him there. Let him learn. Let him da 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 whatever. But mm-hmm. looking at him in right field, I'm pretty convinced he he looks a better right fielder than a third baseman now at this point. I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on it? <laughs> he he is special. He is special. Uh, two years ago at FanFest, it might have been not this year, but the year prior, I went up to him and I, I jokingly said, oh, it's a pleasure to meet the future at third base. And I make the joke that he must have known something I didn't because he said, well, whether it's third base or someone else, somewhere else, I'm happy to contribute. And that was before, you know, we ever even saw him in right field. He is just he's elite defensively. Uh, you know, I that that verb or not that verb, rather that descriptor gets thrown around so much but i have no problem saying it about him he is elite defensively and and the measures actually back it up so if we use uh whether it's uzr we use my favorite with it which is drs so defensive runs saved okay fan graph says that anything over five is above average getting close to great and elite brian anderson has a drs of nine plus nine at third base and seven at right field, which means that he is an above average to elite defender in the same year at two different positions. That that never happens. Like a, a third baseman will try to work all year at third base just to get to nine DRS. And he's doing it while splitting reps, if we want to talk about you know football for a second, like splitting uh, innings at third base and at right field. So it's incredible what he's doing. I think that at the end of the day, he is still going to be the future third baseman for the Marlins. I think that there's simply too much, too much outfield prospects coming up with too much talent and that he will be pushed back to third, which is his rightful position. Unless if they decide to go out and sign a third baseman, in which case, you know, glory, hallelujah, you have a great right fielder that was just your third baseman. So it works out either way. My personal opinion, I value third base defense a lot more than I value right field. No matter how many assists he has from from right field, no matter how great he is out there, I value, especially with this young pitching staff who likes to pitch uh, balls that are hit into the dirt, I much value Brian Anderson and his elite defense at third base than I do right field. And I'll say just one more thing about Starlin Castro. For those of you that haven't seen um, or didn't see it when, when we tweeted it out, Isan Diaz had back-to-back errors in a very crucial game, or not a crucial game, but a crucial part of the game against the Rockies. And there's this beautiful image and video of Starling Castro sitting next to Diaz after the game is over with his arm wrapped around him, uh, talking to him, letting him know that this is something that happens, that this is something where growth is, is an opportunity. To me, the fact that he's doing that, knowing very well that the Marlins are going to pick up his option, he's going to be gone next year, knowing very well that that's someone that was probably wanting to get traded uh, and that we wanted to trade him for Isan Diaz to come up and replace him, spoke a lot to me about who Starlin Castro is. So we mentioned Starlin Castro, and I just wanted to say that very quickly because that was beautiful to me. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to Brian Anderson, I want him at third for the long haul. If they want to do this during the rebuild this year, certainly it's fine because he's been okay and he's been better than okay he's been great over there but but he's eventually a third baseman yeah 
Good. Well, that clears that up then. <laughs> um, one word you mentioned, we were talking about Lewis Brinson, and I, I, I jotted this down as um, as you were talking, and it was approach. And someone that we were talking about ahead of, ahead of this podcast was, um, was Jorge Alfaro. And the <laughs> it's fair to say there's been some, some issues. I, I, again, he started, I think, he started the year really well, actually, and was is seemingly opposite field home runs galore and plenty of contact and everything. Everything was good. But over as the years progressed, the strikeouts have just become more and more constant and in bunches. And I don't know, he's seemingly kind of going backwards on that front. And I, I, I don't know. So it's, it's, it's looking... I don't know if something's changed there or... Um, it's just a long season, which, and you know, as a catcher and then pretty much an everyday catcher, it, it is a long season. It can drain you a bit, I guess. So I don't know. But the question to you, Danny, on this is, are you concerned with what you've seen? I guess we kind of knew they were the issues. It was a big power threat, um, but has some strikeout issues. Are you concerned at this stage or still comfortable with, with Alfaro as part of, you know, a centerpiece of, of the build? I am, I would say I'm incredibly concerned of his second half. So, you know, George Alfaro is a great mystery. He really is. He's he's one of the best mysteries in all of these Marlins storylines that we could talk about. Because at the end of the day, you know, he has one of the highest batting average in balls in play, which many people look at as an indicator of whether a person's performance is sustainable or whether it will regress. He is, I mean, if the league average is around 320, last year he was at 406. And this year he is still at 371, which means that when he makes contact, it usually falls for a hit or, quite frankly, it goes over the fence or, quite frankly, it's so hard of hit that the defenders can't get it. And yet he strikes out, at least in the second half, at 40 percent of the time. So, so here's the puzzle with him. You can sustain a high batting average on balls in play, regardless of whether people think that leads to regression or not, when you are in the 96th percentile of hard hit velocity like he is. He hits the ball harder than almost anyone in baseball. The problem is, is that when you also don't walk, then you have to hit the ball. (laughs) When you strike out at 40% and you don't walk, your exit velocity doesn't help you because, again, you struck out. So there's nothing to measure exit velocity because you're walking back with your bat in hand to the, to the, to the pen or to the, to the uh, dugout. So the thing with George, the only thing that's really changed from the first half to the second half is that K percentage. He was sitting around low 30s in the first half, which was beautiful. You know, if, if, if Alfaro connects with the ball, he's going to get a hit. This second half, it's over 40%. Mm. 40%. Four out of ten times that he's gone up there, he is chasing a slider low and away. <laughs> or he is he is looking at a changeup that stops at the at, at, right at the bottom of the zone and he gets rung out. So we are seeing the kryptonite to his Superman strength, which is that if pitchers can learn how to pitch around George Alfaro, he will chase. And that if he continues to chase, it doesn't matter how strong and how hard you hit the ball, even if it's at an elite level. Like when I say elite, Peter, I mean elite. Like he's hitting it as hard as Stanton hits it during during stretches when he's healthy. But it doesn't make a difference if you don't actually make the contact. So uh, the case with him is that he needs to better his approach. He needs to understand better what hitters, what pitchers are doing against him. He has to start swinging, stop swinging outside of the zone. 
these are all things that you can work on. You know, you can work on approach. Gary Dembo is one of the best at that. Gary Dembo has a famous uh, story about Derek Jeter and the fact that Derek Jeter thinks he really made his career because he helped him with his approach. So it cannot, it's, it can't be done. But make no mistake, regardless of the fact that there's no one coming behind him, because Will Banfield's the best catching prospect in the system, and he's pretty far away. He's about three, four years away. If he continues to hit like second half George Alfaro, he's not going to be here. Do I think that'll happen? No. I think he's closer to first half George Alfaro, and that's what the numbers tell us. His his K percentage has been 32%, 28%, 35%. Even this year, 34%, even with the awful second half. So I, I, I'm not I'm not worried as long as this version of George Alfaro is an outlier and not the truth. If mm-hmm. it is the truth, he's not going to be here very long. Time will tell. I'm with you, though, Danny, on that one. I think first half will will return. That will be more than norm. I think second half, yeah, something, something I don't know if something's changed or it's just, you know, we'll see. I, I feel like there's something has gone on or he's uh, taken a different approach. Maybe, you know, maybe it's tiredness. I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll see on that front, but I hope, I hope because the tools are there. And I remember just going waxing lyrical about him in the early part in the first half, just, you know, it was a real bright spark in, you know, let's be honest, that first what six weeks were, it was on the hitting misery. front. It was, it was, yeah, misery. Yeah. That is, that's the right word. And, and I'll say only- just one, one very quick thing with Alfaro. The only thing that hasn't changed is his defense has been good still. And that's yeah. important. Uh, he's 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 still one of the leaders in framing. His defensive value is at seven point five. He's he's very good defensively. That's still okay. So yeah. he's gonna buy himself a lot of time in this organization. It's just that approach needs to change, and he needs to start laying off of the outside pitches because that's where it's getting him. Yeah, I think Lewis was having the same problem as well in in his in the early part of the the season too. It seemed like it was just slider away, and that'd be him done. You know, it was mm-hmm. similar scenario. So. I don't know. Time will tell. I, I'm still excited about him. I, I mean, what the Marlins have been doing uh, throughout the draft and the trade deadline is is you know stacking up on some power, some power bats up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, and he certainly fits in that category, albeit um, not a lefty, which they've seemed to really prioritize this this last kind of yeah, like you know draft and, and trade deadline. Absolutely stacked up with with left hand power bats now. Aside from we we've made a bit of a joke on it on the on the podcast here a few weeks back where the international free agent signing period they they seem to just sign about fifteen shortstops so I don't know what was going on there but they just thought well we'll we'll sign as many as we can and maybe one or two of them will 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 kind of pay out in the end so right yeah good um hey there's one or two other players I wanted to get your take on just to uh, to round things off. Mm-hmm. And again, one of my favorite players, actually, Jose Ureña. Uh He's been back rehabbing. Uh, I think he's had two, maybe, I think two. I think he's had two rehab appearances. Um, he's obviously on the on the 60-day. Um, I hope we see him again this year. But, you know, I think naturally it will be out of the bullpen because he's not, He's not going to be worked up to be, you know, a 90, 95 pitch guy between now and the end of the year. And I don't think there's any need to do that right now. So I think it's likely we'll see him maybe at the bullpen. But what do you see, you know, more interestingly is what, what do you see the future of, of, of Jose? You know, it's it's a decision the Marlins will have to make, right? Yeah, it'll be a good decision and a good problem to have. Because when you have an arm like Jose Urania, who 
three or four years ago was as volatile as you can get. And even now, of course, he still has a lot of movement, so he has some issues with control, but he's been able to rein them a bit better. It's definitely a good problem about whether, hey, do you want him to be the third, fourth, or fifth guy, or do you want him to be in the pen? Uh, a while ago, more than a year ago now, I was at spring training, and one of the scouts from an opposing team was sitting next to me, and he mentioned that they were looking at Jose Urania as a closer because that he would have elite uh, stuff as a closer. He would be able to ramp up that velocity, and he's always been able to K or strike out individuals at a good rate. Earlier this year, I sent something out very similar that I felt that in my opinion was Jose Urania should be moved to the pen when the young arms are ready to take their hold within the starting rotation. Just recently now, Joe Fasaro and Craig Mish have also reported, I believe, I know Joe for sure, uh, uh, for certain, I'm not certain about if Craig said this as well, but that the Marlins are looking to use him as a reliever or as a closer. So again, glory, glory, that is something that I support because it's something I've wanted personally and it's something that you can maximize value with. When we talk about uh, Jose Urania being a top-notch closer, it is not just a, a verbal uh, filler or or hyperbole. His stuff could really be that of a top-notch closer. So I think we're starting to see that. The fact that they're rehabbing him one inning at a time. Uh, I think your point does have merit that they might feel they don't have enough time to work him up to be a starter again. But even if that was the case, I do think they would have gone two, three, four innings uh, to get him a little bit closer. Now, the Marlins will never confirm with any of us if they actually do view him as a closer later on, because if something happens with one of the kids or if they need him in the rotation, then they could just slot him right back in. But my estimate, as well as what I would do if I was Mr. Marlin over here, would be to put Jose Urania in a spot where he's going to maximize his value. And I think that comes out of the pen and possibly even as a closer. Mm, well, uh, Lee, who's on this podcast as well, um, Lee Dobbs, he... He brought that up as well oh, months ago. We were talking about the future of uh, Arania. I think probably when he when he got injured, I think we were saying, you know, it's it doesn't look good, and we may not see him again this year. And but he he then piped up and said, listen, I I think uh, you know he could make a, a decent a decent closer. So uh, Lee was on that too, and uh, we kind of joked with him at the time. But it's kind of it's playing out, I think maybe. So yeah, we'll see on that front. Um, I I hope he sticks around. What I mm-hmm. I personally feel that there's more value there than it going like a Dan Straley way. I think that's maybe the alternative universe in some ways, where you know option A is the one you've outlined. He comes back, um, whether as a starter or in the in the pen this year, and maybe he ends up as as the closer next year. Time will tell. I think that's mm-hmm. you know, a possibility and a strong one. I think equally there's there's a scenario where it, it kind of they try to move him on in the off season, it doesn't happen and they just you know, do whatever they can to, to, to move move on from Jose. I don't know. I don't know whether it's exactly the same as the Dan Strady situation, but um I feel like it could be could play out in a similar way, which I don't think was that great. I don't think the Marlins handled that one that mm-hmm. well, maybe. I don't know, but business is business, right? You know, you just you know, you you make a decision, and they wanted to see the younger guys, and I think I think it was the right decision in the end, to be honest, with with the Dan Straley scenario. But um, yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so 
we'll round things off. Um, there's a few kind of regular segments that me and the guys normally do. Uh, seeing as they're not here, then I'll I'll get you to to join in on on that fun. Um, Absolutely. So <laughs> the typical endpoints are we'll we'll have a, a we'll have a prediction for the the next series ahead, which is a three game set with the Braves. Um, so we'll have a series prediction on that. We'll have a uh, a player of the week nomination as well, and then uh, finally we'll round it off with an emoji of the week as well. So I'm really interested <laughs> to see what you've got, what you've got in the locker for the emoji of the week. For sure. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, three games against the Braves. I've got to be honest. Um, the Brave series for me this year have been, I think, probably my favorite series collectively all year. I I love Braves Twitter and their fans mm-hmm. on Twitter. It's awesome engaging with them and just kind of winding them up. Um, there's obviously a bit of history we've had there very recently with the um, with the Arena uh, Acuna situation last year and uh, obviously the follow-up to that this year. So the needle is there. Equally with the Braves, I feel like they're built to sustain at the moment in many ways. So I feel like when we're ready not next year, but the year after, I think the Braves will still be around mm-hmm. and be looking strong. And I could see us both going head to head, which I think will be great. So it's good. The needle and the rivalry is already kind of building, I think between the fan bases, uh, particularly from what I've seen. So anyway, those guys are pushing on. They need to keep winning games because it's going to be a tight finish in the NL East, I think. Um, so three games ahead, we got um, Hernandez against Keichel tonight. Um, Caleb uh, against uh, Julio Tehran uh, to follow that up, and then Sandy against Soroka. Sandy keeps getting these matchups against uh, the Aces. Against, yep, against the stud Aces of the opposing yeah. team. Exactly. That's why I don't take wins and losses into any account. It's just uh, right. it's irrelevant, uh, particularly for Sandy when he's taking the studs on. So three games against the Braves were away from home as well. The home record, uh, sorry, the the away record has been absolutely awful recently. Uh, I think Craig Mish has been high on that one on Twitter recently as well. So, what can we expect, or what do you actually not what, what not what can we expect? What are you predicting um, for this series in in terms of win losses? Okay, I really want to go two and three just to be different and just to be a surprise. Even though maybe even winning one game is a surprise and a shocker in this series, uh, but I think I'm still just going to go with one win. I like Keuchel at home. So I think that I think the Braves are going to have just a good night tonight. Maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. Whatever the case is. I think Caleb is the one that brings us the victory. Uh, you know, Tehran has been solid this year. I have him on my fantasy team, so I'm happy with that. Kind of. But I think that Caleb uh, has started to pick back up where he was prior to his dip in, his, in the midseason when he was coming back from injury. So I'm going to say... One win, and it's the Caleb Smith game. And I will just say this, but Sandy gives us another quality start in a loss. Yeah, good. I like it. So 2-1 win for the Braves for you. I'm I'm going to actually side with you on that one. Uh, so I'm going yeah, the same, same mix. Um, I actually, I think there's going to be a surprise tonight. I think, uh, I think we absolutely lit up Keiko last time, albeit... I think that was at home. Um, it must have been because we haven't won any games away recently. Uh, but I think we lit Keichel up. I personally don't rate him anymore. Uh, I had him on my fantasy team last year. He let me down. So I'm then I'm, I'm kind of bitter on that one. <laughs> yeah, there's some anger there. I, there I like is. It. There is. There is anger there. So I'm, I'm going to I'm going to take uh, the Hernandez win tonight and then some quality starts. But 
um, in the end, some defeats. Uh, unfortunately, I think our, our bullpen is is incapable of, of, of kind of protecting quality starts and maybe some early leads. So I think that could be an issue for us. So there we go. Um, all right, good. So player of the week, um, bearing in mind the week has been, well, we've been swept by the Rockies, which was a tough, it was a tough sweep. And we, we definitely should have won that last game uh, from what I saw. Um, we also had a, a series against the Dodgers. And, um, you know, it was <laughs> those guys for me are, are head and shoulders above anything else in the NL, like significantly above everything else. So, um, you know, it was a tough week. Um, who are you taking, Danny? For you, you, you know, pitcher or or or, uh, or batter, whatever you fancy. I so badly want to go with Sandy because of his back-to-back quality starts, but I'm not going to. I'm going to go on the hitting side. I'm going to go on the hitting side, and the numbers that I'm looking at right now will not include Sunday, which I believe Cooper also added a hit. On Sunday, but Garrett Cooper this week hit 368, got on base 45% of the time. His slugging's 578, and his on base plus slugging is over a thousand. When you do that, uh, I'm pretty comfortable giving you the player of the week, even though Brian Anderson was close behind. So, so in between a little grudge match between those two, but I think I'm going to go with Garrett, especially because he had somewhat taken a dip uh, from his early hot start. After he came back from injury. So it's nice to see Cooper have a nice bounce back week. And again, anytime you get OPS over a thousand, you're my guy. Yeah, oh, that's fair. And I, it's good to see Coop. He has, he started so well. And the whole, the whole lineup, I think, changed overnight when him and, and uh, Ramirez kind of turned up. And all of a sudden, the, you know, that, that nightmare lineup um, for the first six weeks was was almost changed overnight with them two guys and you know they, they they started hitting and hitting well and Cooper was hitting grand slams and everything everything was going on it was it was exciting to watch and finally someone who could actually um hit some home runs so um you know it was good and he was obviously had a bit of a bit of a slump but he's back hitting which is good and I think just just on Gary Cooper as well it's nice to maybe have like found an answer at first base unexpectedly as well i don't mm-hmm. think that was the plan but i think he's kind of fell into it and looks at home there he had a few little wobbles fielding wise where he kind of couldn't throw to second base for a while a few weeks back but <laughs> you know he's he's settled in there at first base and i think solves a problem for now on that front do you think I, I agree i think it's a short-term problem i think he could be the guy there for two three years until mm. likely because he's another favorite guy of mine lewin diaz is up um but what I also love about Coop is that if you go and sign a Jose Abreu this offseason or someone at first, you could still, without losing too much, play Cooper in right field. Uh, and that's something that I love about him as well. Obviously, not even close to the standard of Brian Anderson. But if you want him somewhere at right or at first, you have a bat in the lineup that can produce for at least the short term option until the younger guys are ready. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I think it's good. And and equally, I thought the same that that Diaz move. I mean, double Diaz, it will be first and second base in in the future. So, I was jokingly saying to the guys a few weeks back that I'm gonna have to buy a buy a jersey with, and I'll have to have Diaz on the back. And you know that 
that that kind of spreads my risk. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. They have to guess which one it is. And and for what it's worth, and this will be five seconds, I promise you, Jazz Chisholm, Isan Diaz, and Lewin Diaz have led the homers at their res- have led the minors in their respective position over the last year and a half. So consider that. Just consider if those three individuals, or rather Lewin Diaz over this last year, if those three individuals actually reach their ceilings and get to the major leagues and you have a Jazz Chisholm at short and Isan Diaz at second and a Lewin Diaz all hitting 25 plus homers at the major league it would be beautiful will it happen we don't know we'll see but just something to think about it is and, and let's be honest one uh, one guy who has surprised me who uh we've already talked about but on on the hitting side is is brian anderson who all of a sudden has just got this sneaky pop uh, is how i've described it because you, you kind of don't expect it but he's he's constantly hitting homers i mean he's up to maybe mm-hmm. 20 now maybe this year yeah, yeah he's he's a he's clip 20 there. now yeah so there you go there's another one you got your third base i mean whether i mean if, if you're playing at marlins park half your games and you're hitting over well let's say finishes at 25 this year um you know i think that's above average um <laughs> to be honest because the, the park definitely hurts the guys for sure so there you go imagine you know around around the diamond there if you know First, second, short, and third are all hitting over twenty-five homers. Then, um, and Alfaro definitely could do that as well if he um, if he kind of didn't strike out as often as he did. Right. So, who knows? It could be. I mean, they're talking about bringing the fences in. I saw uh, I saw that as an mm-hmm. option. Maybe they would. You know, at least they were considering it. Um, I don't think they need to do it. Maybe uh, just leave them where they are. Um, so. Yeah, okay. Well, in terms of player of the week, I'm going to go with uh, Lewis Brinson just purely out of that glove work because that was highlight real stuff in some some pretty turgid games for us at times. And, you know, it was it was impressive to see. And it's nice to see the um, I think the confidence, the confidence there, the confidence in the glove and the fielding being back. And, you know, like you said, we had you know some bit part players playing a center field and some of the errors were just really poor very kind of schoolboy era styles, you know, stuff when JT Riddle was out there and John Birdie's been out there and well, everyone's been out there really. Um, but anyway, that's my player of the week purely for the glove. Um, so we'll round things off unless there's any other uh, business, but we'll, we'll get an emoji of the week. Uh, I, I don't, <laughs> it's your first stab at this one. So let's, uh, I like it. Let's see what you've got in the locker. (laughs) So so I will very quickly say that I'm going to just be a prophet real quick. And I'm going to say that I know we're going to do the emoji of this week. But the emoji of next week is going to be the the little unicorn emoji. Because I am predicting that the two hitters that never walk will walk a collective amount of six times this week. I am predicting for next week. So that's why it's a unicorn because you never see it happen. That Lewis Brinson and George Alfaro uh, walk six plus times collectively which might not sound a lot but when you're talking about these guys it sounds like a lot so i'm just i'm just throwing that out for next week my emoji for this week <laughs> uh you know the little monkey that has his hands on top of his eyes but he's still smiling that's the emoji for this week because you don't want to see what's on the screen and you don't want to see what's happening because you're getting just destroyed by teams that are competent and that are not in a rebuild 
but you're smiling because when you look at the Braves, you remember that they just went through this rebuild and look at how they are now. When you look at the Dodgers, you realize that a lot of their, uh, they're almost the antithesis of the Yankees, a lot of their current talent was brought up in their system. So you're, you don't want to see what's happening, but you're smiling because you know that at some point you're going to be the team there. So I'm going with the monkey with the two eyes uh, covered with the two hands. I like it. I like it. Danny, you are an emoji professional, I think. <laughs> uh, you, you're digging deep in your, uh, your emoji locker here for sure. I, am, I, I, am. Like, I like the unicorn one as well. Um, we'll. We'll circle back on that one over Twitter next week and, uh, and, and see whether this, uh, this prophecy came true or not. <laughs> we will see. Looking forward to that. Um, my, my one, I was, uh, and the way I typically do this is to look at my frequently used. That, that usually is, is a good place to start um, for, for last right. one. You know, which makes sense. But because uh, I was on holiday in Spain, um, there's a lot of Spanish flags in there. There's a lot of beers in there. Um, and, um, you know, the other one that's been used a lot is the NFL ball. Um, you know, we're into fantasy football draft season and all that. So, mm-hmm. You know, it's there's a lot of that, but I think for me the the emoji um, that that I I think I've got to use is the the head blowing up one um, <laughs> because I I was I was absolutely wounded, let's say, for that that Sunday Rockies game. I, mm-hmm. I was thinking we cannot be swept, and I was thinking, great, Stanek's rolling out here. He's had a tricky start. You know, save opportunity for Stanek to to um, you know close it out for us or whatever, and um, it didn't happen, which I was really disappointed about because, like we were touching upon earlier, I thought that getting him in that trade um, as as a secondary piece, let's say, but as a strong bullpen piece, I think was was a real nice move, mm-hmm. and it, it hasn't started well for him. And, you know, it's so volatile, that position, isn't it? You know, these relievers and closers, anything, you know, it can change so quickly. But for me, I was just, I was disappointed, but just equally angry, at, you know, in similar measure, measures on that one, just because I wanted him to do it. I wanted us not to be swept. Because I think the Rockies, they've not been great this year. Mm-hmm. And they were there for the taking, but they weren't. So I think I'm going to go for that angry head blowing up one. Because, it was a bit of a head blowing up moment that one, I think. So, I think we could all empathize with you on that because yeah. this is our losses in a rebuilding year. But when you just came back and now you're gonna, you know, win this game, you're gonna salvage the series, and Brian Stanek is gonna get his first save to see it unravel, and at the hands of Isan Diaz's glove too is just, yeah, I, uh, I can empathize with you, sir. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, there we go. Uh, that's, um, I think that's it for this week. Unless there's, uh, hey, is there anything else from your side, Danny, that, you know, there's, there may be other topics we can get into. I'm happy to go with them, but, um, <laughs> I, I am okay. I just want to thank you. Okay. You guys are awesome at what you do and I appreciate you having me on any other time that I can come on. I will be happy to do so. Seriously, you're fantastic. This was a lot of fun and I'm excited to see where this and where your account and, and your fan, all of it. I'm excited to see where it grows. So thank you again for having me. Okay. Of course. And, um, I appreciate that. I appreciate your help and support on this week. And, um, I will definitely have you back on hopefully when, when everyone's back around, um, it was great that you could fill in, but equally it'd be great to, to have you on when, when everyone's around and you know, you can kind of enjoy the full, fish across the pond experience uh you know it's it's great 
one-to-one in some ways, but equally it's good when there's a few of us and, you know, a bit of, bit of banters flying around, et cetera. So, you know, we'll, we'll make that happen in, in, in maybe later this year. Well, I'm sure we'll find a time. So that'd be great. Um, Danny, where, where can the guys, uh, if for everyone who isn't following you, which will probably be no one listening to this podcast, but anyway, if, if there's someone new to it, where can they get you on, on Twitter? And um, equally, what are the um, what are the, the podcasts you're involved in as well? Because I think from my side, it's highly recommended. I love I love what you do on that. And you usually ride solo, right? You know, you, you, you kind of, you just go, go it alone and have a, you know, a, a kind of, conversation in a sense uh, with yourself and kind of go through the topics <laughs> it's it's a great it's a great kind of uh setup i like it but you know where can they find you on twitter and, and where are these uh where are these pods you're, you're too kind you're too kind so my twitter handle is at danny m underscore m-i-a danny m is all common spelling d-a-n-n-y-m and then underscore MIA. And then, of course, at fishstripes.com, you could find any of our work. If you go to the masthead, you'll see me there and you can find all of our content. The two podcasts are found anywhere you could find podcasts. So Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever the, the case may be. Uh, it is under Fish Bites, so, or rather under Fish Stripes. So you're going to want to look for Fish Stripes. And then we have three different shows going on under that title one is fish bites which is mine that's the solo show i try to have uh fans on every other week or guests we've had glenn geffner on we are soon going to have one of the executives from the business side of the miami marlins on to ask him about uh, how that is progressing and the tv contract and all that good stuff then if minor league baseball is what you love we have an earning their stripes podcast with myself ethan and ian which covers all of the prospects uh, all the minor league systems, and both of those shows release every Monday and Tuesday of the week. So there's a lot of content there. I, you know, like I said, I really do love you guys. So don't sell yourself short. I'm sure that you have a lot of individuals that don't know me, uh, and, and I'm excited to see where you guys go. But yes, you could come follow me at Danny M underscore M I A. Awesome, Danny. Thanks so much again. Um, thanks to the listeners as well. Um, it's um, we apologise for last week's hiatus. Uh, I was I was selling myself as I mentioned in Spain, drinking beers, watching condensed <laughs> games. Um, the other guys are now away this week, but I, we're all back, I believe, for next week. So the four the four will be reunited um, for uh, for an end of August special. Um, so that's it for this week. Uh, again, thanks, Danny. That's episode 26 of Fish Across the Pond in the books. And we'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>